This is Mystic Takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. Today, I'm joined by Sabina Qureshi of Edmonton, Canada, who shares a story of encountering a carefree stranger at a supermarket in Norway. But this time when I saw him, I was suddenly flooded with, I would call it like an energy of love, just something really strong and warm and, and good came over me. Good to have you with us. So today on Mystic Takeaway, I have Sabina Qureshi. It's the third time for Sabina to be a guest on Mystic Takeaway. It's so nice to have you back again. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be back. In case people haven't heard the other two podcasts yet, you can share something about yourself and your show. Okay, sure. I've been doing a, a Zoom broadcast once a month about Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom, their presence in the world, what it means for us, uh, and just a lot of ramifications of that, like um, how humanity is evolving and awakening. Um, we, we tie this into the political situation in the world, very often the economic situation, the, the crises we're going through, uh, but also the personal level, uh, people's individual lives and their personal processes. How can people find your show? You can watch it live streaming on uh, Share International Canada on Facebook. I believe we've also got a channel on Twitter and YouTube. The YouTube channel is Message of Hope Weekly. But the Share International Canada page on Facebook is probably the easiest to find. Do you want to tell us anything else about yourself? Well, uh, I'm somebody who came to meditation uh, sort of in a roundabout way. I, I was not interested in yoga, meditation, or spirituality or religion uh, as a young person. But because of crises in my life, I ended up uh, immersed in these things, maybe as a way of um, helping myself. So it was more like a self-help uh, kind of mechanism for me then uh, I want to know more about God or I want to know more about my soul or something like that. Uh, but along the way, I learned more about a lot of stuff. So I, I feel like I'm very, uh, I'm a person who's not really well read in many ways, or I'm not somebody who has a lot of knowledge. Uh, but I've, I've been doing this type of thing uh, because I needed to for my own sanity. So it's kind of maybe a slightly different way of coming to it. I was thinking um, just before we started our conversation that it feels to me like there's a lot of activity afoot and that actually a lot of people I know are going through crises and challenges and growth and the world at large seems to be chewing on some pretty big issues. And um, But in a spiritual sense, I kind of take that to be a positive sign that things are kind of moving and speeding up maybe in a positive way. I don't know. What do you think, Sabina? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I absolutely do. And I think that the world, things are speeding up in a positive way. And it might be because of the crises, you know, because of the pressure of these multiple crises, you know, whether it's COVID, the war in Ukraine, famine in East Africa, flooding in Pakistan, tornadoes and hurricanes coming across uh, the Caribbean or into North America. I mean, there's just so many levels of crisis 
on every front. And I think that the pressure of that is pushing people to act and to speak up. And that's a very positive thing because that's what's needed, I think, for real change to take place. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, it really feels like that. But I think we have to remember that the divine is ever present, <laughs> imminent, as opposed to, you know, uh, God somewhere off in the sky. And um, I had a little experience that I'd like to share with my listeners. And that is that um, one of my closest friends died in August. And it was kind of a shock that she died so quickly, but she had cancer. So she'd been dealing with it for a couple of years, but it really kind of was one of those awakening experiences for me because, um, I didn't expect her somehow. I didn't expect her to die. Um, and she's around my age. So for me, it was kind of one of those, you know, a special experience. So you realize, oh yeah. Um, time is not forever. You know, this time we all have on our, in our, uh, in individual incarnations, we're not here forever. So um, anyway, when I was pondering her death on the day she died, and I was standing out on my deck, um, looking out over this big field behind my garden, and thinking about this and feeling sad because I felt like she really didn't want to go. She was forced in a way um, by the circumstances of her health. And so I was feeling all this sadness around that. And I had this moment where I thought, you know, seeing her sort of traveling back to the source, leaving her body, and this feeling of sadness around feeling like she might have been bewildered, as as I was feeling bewildered at that moment, this kind of like, did she have to travel alone? So that sort of um, imagery made me decide that I wanted to just send a prayer out and ask the divine for a sign that she had been accompanied, that somebody had helped lead her where she needed to go. And within literally seconds, there was this amazing view across the field, these two huge cranes, beautiful cranes, which I've, I've never seen these particular birds behind my house. And they were flying in perfect synchrony, one above the other, like less than a foot apart. They were really close. I almost thought I was seeing double. And um, they flew across the field uh, through the trees of my neighbor's yard. There's some tall pines. And then they they made a right turn, literally a right angle turn, and flew directly over me. And they stayed in this incredible, uh, beautiful... um, synchrony between them. Like it was almost like, you know, I I couldn't imagine they were flying so close together with these wing movements in perfect synchrony. And it was like the perfect picture of accompaniment, you know? It's it's so beautiful. It's poetic. Yeah. It was really a very special experience. And I knew immediately when I, when I saw this happening, was just staring in wonder at it, but I knew immediately that it was a sign for me, that it was, you know, given to me um, to to help as a balm for my sad heart, you know, about her situation. And I, I felt it. I really felt after that, I felt like, okay, yeah, she's all right. And she had support. Of course she did. And, you know, but it was just a beautiful moment. I think it's just a reminder of how ever-present the divine is always there and 
As Sai Baba often has said, if you look to me, I look to you. So when we look to the divine, when we ask for support from the divine, we um, the divine can support us. The divine can look to us mm-hmm. in a sense because our consciousness is reaching for it and it's always there. Um, it reminds me of another story that a friend of mine told uh, told me where she was at Mount Shasta with a group of people hiking and she had to take a break. She was an older person. She was in her 70s and she had to take a break. So the friends said, well, well, we'll come back and we'll fetch you on the way down. And they went off to do a little more climbing up the mountain. And while she was standing there alone, she said, you know, I know there's a master on this mountain. So she, she thought of that master. She didn't know who he was exactly, but she thought of him and said, if there's a master that can hear this, I'd like to have a sign that there's a master on this mountain. And within seconds again, a very large, um, a very large tribe of butterflies. What do you call a tribe of butterflies? A flock. Uh, a flock. Okay, a flock. <laughs> a swarm. A very large f- swarm or flock of butterflies uh, came straight towards her and and swam around her like in a circle, and then flew off. It was really beautiful. So you know what I'm thinking, Elisa, as you've told both of these stories uh, about the two cranes and about the, the swarm of butterflies. Um, I think these magical things happen to all of us, you know, probably on a regular basis. We have these experiences, but perhaps many of us don't think, oh, this is somehow connected to the divine, Uh, you know, or we don't give it a name or we don't attribute it to anything in particular. Um, Right. And I think what's interesting about your podcast and about um, the the show that I do as well is that we were saying, that these experiences, these magical experiences that we all have, uh, actually do have a connection to something very uh, concrete and very real, or to yes. maybe not some thing, but some someone, people, uh, real people. Uh, it, you know, we call them the masters of wisdom. Um, but this is something that I think, if I'd heard about this when I was in my twenties, before I had kind of encountered meditation. I would have been quite um, fascinated by the idea that there really are people who who have these magical abilities and, and who are connected to us somehow. Yeah, I think the whole point about the Masters of Wisdom, which you're making, is that essentially the fact that they are real beings like us, but they have a depth of consciousness or a breadth of consciousness, which is so far in advance of our own, they really have, they're completely connected on a very conscious level to everything in the material world and beyond. So it's hard for us to fathom really what that means, but it was very clear to me. When I said that prayer, I actually directed it to Maitreya, and I really felt that he was listening to me at that moment. When those cranes appeared, it seemed really clear to me that that was what was happening. So um, on the topic of occurrences like this, the masters showing up in odd places in often very comical ways, <laughs> you know, they're meant to shine a light on something in us. Um, 
Sabina, you told me that you have another story about meeting someone special in a grocery store, and I'd love it if you'd share that. Sure. Yeah. And I just want to say that uh, it's coming to, I'm, I'm remembering something now. When I first um, learned about the existence of the Masters of Wisdom, I, I learned about them through uh, the magazine called Share International Magazine. A friend of mine was a subscriber, and that's where I first saw it. And in that magazine, there's a section uh, called Letters to the Editor, where people write in about their experiences of meeting somebody that they think uh, might have been a master of wisdom. And they, they used to write in and ask uh, Benjamin Krem to ask his master to confirm or not uh, those experiences, which then he would do. And when I would read these letters about people's experiences, at the time, I remember when I was reading them in the 90s, there were lots of letters about a hitchhiker. People would pick up a hitchhiker uh, and the person would get in the car, a man, and talk to them. And then suddenly he wouldn't be in the car anymore. <laughs> you know, they, and they hadn't stopped or opened the door or anything. Um, and, and there were other ones about a busker at a metro station that I remember. Uh, and when I first read these, I remember thinking, wow, that's really neat. But then I thought, but I don't want to meet one of these people because I think I'd be scared. Uh, and that, that was my real response at that time. And as soon as I'd had the thought, you know, that I, I don't want them to show up in my life because I'd be scared. I then realized, oh, oh, they won't do it. They won't do it as long as it would scare me because they know it would scare me. So they're not going to do that. Um, and that was really reassuring. Uh, and then I kind of forgot and, you know, got on with life. And um, then at that point, years later, I actually did experience meeting a Master of Wisdom. And by that time, it wasn't a frightening thing anymore. It was just exciting and uh, invigorating and kind of like, wow, that was amazing. But the one I wanted to tell you about today took place in a rather, I would say, indirect way initially, because I was it was just a regular day. It was after work and I had gone to the grocery store. I lived in Norway at that time in a small town there. And this grocery store was, the, the main part of it was a bit below street level, but you came in on street level and then you walked down a, a ramp uh, to get into the store. And so I was in the store and I'd gotten my cart. And I remember that right at the beginning, before I'd actually started shopping, uh, someone came in and I, I noticed it because the, the place where the door was, was also uh, had like wall to ceiling windows. So there was a lot of light coming in. And every time the, the sliding door opened, you would hear it and, and notice it. So I saw this man come in and he looked like he might've been an immigrant from the Middle East. Uh, at that time, the war in Iraq was taking place. So I, I immediately thought, oh, he looks like he's maybe a, a refugee from Iraq. He had a beard and black hair and very long eyelashes. I remember that. You could see his eyelashes. I could eyelashes. see his eyelashes. I don't know why they, <laughs> that struck me. And he was eating an apple as he walked in and he was just very nonchalant and carefree. And for some reason that really irritated me. Um, I remember having a very strong visceral reaction of irritation, um, almost anger at, at this person's freedom. And, and I think it must've been because I didn't feel free inside myself, but I wasn't consciously aware of it. Uh, but, you know, when I saw him, I was like, ah, uh, why is he so happy? You know, <laughs> that's a funny expression uh, from French, sans souci. 
right? Mm, right. <laughs> right. It's basically a sans souci. <laughs> That's right. He, he was without any cares. Absolutely. Or he appeared to be mm-hmm. without any cares. Mm-hmm. And well, then I, I guess carried on shopping, didn't think about it more. And I, and, and, you know, that reaction, that, that irritation, it was so fleeting. It wasn't like I continued to be angry, but it was something that I noticed because it seemed odd. You know, why would you just get irritated at when you see somebody that you don't know? Right. 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 And so I carried on shopping. And by the time I got to the back of the store where all the produce was, I suddenly saw him again. He was standing by the mandarin oranges and he was picking them up one by one. And he would pick one up and turn it over in his hand and look at it like from all sides. And I noticed he had very long fingers and it it was the same guy. But this time when I saw him, I was suddenly flooded with I would call it like an energy of love, just something really strong and warm and and good came over me. And I started crying and I couldn't stop crying. I just stood there for a good while uh, sobbing. And while this was all going on, he didn't look at me. I mean, he just kept standing there and looking at these oranges. He'd pick one up, look at it, put it down, pick another one up, look at it, put it down. And I kept crying. And some kind of energy was moving between us. I could feel it. Uh, And nobody in the store, none of the other shoppers noticed that I was crying or said, oh, what's wrong? Or do you need help? And that in itself was remarkable because especially in Norway, people are extremely caring. And if they see anything that they think, you know, a person needs help, they'll immediately go and and try to do something. So Mm -hmm. later when I thought about it, I realized, okay, that, that fits with the things I had read in, in Share International magazine that very often when people have these experiences, if it was something quite out of the ordinary, um, life around them just seemed to carry on without noticing it. Uh, and I think Benjamin Krem has said at some point that the masters can do that. They can kind of create a, like a little bubble so that mm-hmm. it's not apparent to anybody else. Right. So, yeah, wow. I just kept crying and crying, and it felt like a long time to me. It may only have been a few minutes, but it felt like about 10 minutes. And uh, finally, the crying kind of petered out, and I just was there. But I was filled with – it wasn't a crying like when you're upset. It was uh, the kind of crying when you are being comforted, like you've been feeling oh. pain, and then someone comforts you, and it – it evokes tears. It was that type of crying. Uh, it felt very healing, extremely healing. I felt like washed wow. and bathed in a, in a, in love, basically. Wow. Yeah, it was really beautiful. So did you uh, get some idea of what was going on there or who that was? Did you know at the time? Well, when I saw him by the oranges, then I thought, that's Maitreya. It just hit me immediately like instantaneously. Okay. That's my trail. So the whole time I was standing there and crying, I was aware, at least in my awareness, I was thinking that's my trail. That's right. Yeah. 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 And he, I, and, and what was coming to my mind were things that I had read, uh, that he has purportedly said, uh, that Benjamin Krem reported. So one of the things he had said was don't run after me. Like don't, don't become my followers. Um, I don't want followers you know, pay attention to the master in your own heart. Uh, That's what I'm here to help 
with is, is the awakening of your awareness of yourself, self-realization. So maybe I was misinterpreting it, but I remember thinking, oh, I mustn't run after him. Like, you know, a part of me wanted to rush up to him, <laughs> though I don't know what right. that would, that wouldn't have accomplished anything, but, but I, no. but I didn't do it. I held back. I thought, no, I can't, I mustn't run after him. And so he, he meandered off and continued shopping and I did the same. And then a few minutes later, as I was in the section at the back, I suddenly thought, oh, maybe he's leaving the store now. And then I felt a sense of urgency, like, oh, I have to go and see. Um, and at that point, I wasn't thinking, don't run after him. So then I, in fact, did run after him. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the front of the store where the cash machines were, where the cash registers were. And sure enough, there he was. He had already gone through and paid and he was trying to put what he had bought into bags. And so I went up next, like after him, because there was no one else in the queue. And I said, can I help you? And, and he said, okay. And uh, what he had bought were a, a huge amount of industrial pastries, like individually wrapped, uh, <laughs> like Danishes. <laughs> Oh, you say a huge amount. What do you mean? Like, like, like many dozens? Or? Well, like he had, you know, if you just think of a regular plastic shopping bag that you get at the grocery store, uh, yeah. he, he basically had enough to fill two of those and they were overflowing. Um, okay. So <laughs> I, I don't know how many that would be if you counted them, but it, it looked like a good, I don't know, 40 or, I mean, a lot. Um, and the funny thing, was, I mean, I thought it was funny, was that he was trying to put these into the bag. And because they were all in plastic, they would all slide against each other, um, yeah. you know, because they're all a little bit inflated with air so that the pastries won't get crushed. So they yeah. were like little kind of cushions all slippering, slip, sliding and slipping against each other and popping out. As you pushed one down, another one would pop out. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So, what do you think the message was in that whole scene? I mean, usually there's some illustrated, you know, lesson in there. Uh, something about, well, I mean, just the whole idea of abundance of sweet, abundance <laughs> of sweetness or something. Well, it just made me know. feel that I didn't have to worry about um, trying to be holy or good, uh, that I could just be a normal person, uh, mm -hmm, that the master's... Mm -hmm understand what being a normal person is and they and that that's part of the whole deal that's that's how it struck me it was it was very down to earth it was like it was and because of the humor in it because it was almost comical that kind of made yeah. me feel very reassured like i don't have to be afraid uh and this isn't a test you know i'm not being examined um it's okay to be silly it's okay to be a little ridiculous that's okay <laughs> It's like all you buy is Danishes. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to give them to somebody. <laughs> what do you do with all those Danishes? Yeah. <laughs> You're in, in, when in Scandinavia. <laughs> no, it was it was quite funny. Yeah, and That's and cute. and he was very. It was very brief because I just said, "Can I help you?" And I helped him put them in the bags, and then, um, I think I said something like, "You have beautiful eyes," <laughs> which. <laughs> I think now yeah. that's a bit odd to say to somebody, but I did. And he said, so do you. And then, and then he left and, and he said, have a good weekend. And I said, thanks you too. And he left. And, and, but, and the interesting thing was when he was speaking to me, he spoke exactly as a person from the Middle East would have spoken Norwegian. I mean, he, we were speaking Norwegian, ah. but he had the right accent. It was all absolutely how it ought to be, you know? 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love stories like that. Well, you know, I mean, actually, I've, I've told a story before. I don't know if I've actually told this story, but I think so. In one of the podcasts, I told the story of um, meeting Maitreya on a street in San Francisco as a homeless person. And he said something that only I would have known. And that's how I realized that I was, you know, talking to Maitreya. And, um, and then I, I ran up the hill to my friend who had gone on ahead of me and, uh, she was getting her car and, and I told her that I'm sure that was my trail. And she said, let's go see if he's still there. And we drove <laughs> down the hill and he was running like he was being chased. What? Yeah. He was like running away. <laughs> like it was, and I mean, again, it's like this, always a feeling when, or very often in these kinds of circumstances, my experience and others and who've, who've spoken of their experiences on the podcast have said, you know, that there's often a comical, uh, something to make you smile, something to make you laugh, something very often. Um, don't you find also that these experiences tell us something about ourselves? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. 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 Not always about don't take yourself too seriously, but sometimes that's also in the message. But what do you think, that particular, what was that all about? Like he's looking at tangerines or mandarin well, oranges. I, I think, you know, in hindsight now, at the time I didn't think to myself, what was this about? I was just still overwhelmed by the healing experience. Um, yeah. And, and I could feel something was shifting inside of me that something had happened. Um, and maybe that was really the whole point of it. But another level of it, maybe if I look at it now would have been to just lighten up. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I think I was very stressed and uh, to just lighten up and, and laugh a little more. And, uh, you know, th- there are so many moments in which you can just see the humor in something or see the, it could be sublime or it could be ridiculous. It could be all of the above. You know? Right, right, right. And I think that was a message that, and it's still a message for me, I think. I think I still tend to be a little too grim. So, uh, mm, mm, yeah, mm. lighten up, lighten, lighten up, up. Yeah. exactly. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not that serious, you know. And even if it is, um, not lightening up isn't going to necessarily help, you know. No, actually, um, the Master DK and the Alice Bailey books has said on at least one occasion. Uh, a lot of people have used this. Maybe also Benjamin Krim mentioned it as well. But to sit lightly in the saddle, right? To sit lightly in the saddle. And I try to remember that all the time as well, because it is easy to feel like um, day in, day out, you just got to keep trudging along and you you tend to sort of stop looking up again. You know, you stop looking at the sky, you stop looking around and taking a breath of fresh air and recognizing what's going on in the world. You're just so focused on the trudging. <laughs> well, and the other thing is be. You know, given there's so many crises in the world, I think of somebody in in a, in a war zone, in a famine zone, um, and yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say to that person, "Lighten up," but um, right, right, of course, because they're in a situation that is literally grim um, and and with no foreseeable way out. Yeah, but I think that the idea that help is available on other dimensions, though it may not come through on the physical plane, the way we need it to. I mean, and and that comes down to 
political will and our current systems and and needing to push our governments to to do the right thing uh, and to make sure that people don't have to have a famine or that wars don't go on endlessly. Um, I mean, on a on on some level, you know, the experience I had in that grocery store was very much an experience that somebody can have who's living in peacetime and not in a famine. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think that masters do appear to to us in all situations. I think they they do uh, help people in many types of catastrophes or crises to the degree that they can. One of the limitations for them is our free will uh, and the law of karma. So they can't overstep um, the law of karma. They can help a person to the degree that it's within the karma of that person and maybe of other people who are somehow connected or who might be affected by it. Um, right. So I think there's a delicate balance there. But really, it's incumbent on us. We're the ones who are supposed to step up and and make sure that things are rectified. That we that we start putting things onto the better track and and not allow these things to happen. Yeah, it doesn't always feel that way, right? We don't always feel like we have any say in the situation, right? What's going on in the world today? Well, it's hard to feel that we're responsible, but at the same time, of course. Many of us want to do something. Well, Benjamin Krem right. said that the way to do something is to to get out on the street, to protest, to raise our voices, because the 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 real changes will be systemic. They will come through at the level of governments, and we are the kind of lever. We're the the thing that pushes governments, and I think that's what people. It's easy to forget that that's actually the power we have. Those of us who live in countries that are more or less democratic, but even in a country, for example, uh, like an autocratic regime, people protesting, and I mean, that's happening nowadays in, in countries where there are real autocracies. You're seeing people going out on the streets and protesting, even at the risk of, of losing their lives. Uh, and those types of protests do cause change. They, it may not happen from one day to the next, but that is really how change comes about. I guess we can take heart because it is happening a lot more these days, isn't it? It is. And I think... Everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, I can yeah. I can do that here in Canada. Um, as a citizen of a country, you, you have a direct kind of connection to the people who are supposedly representing you right in yeah, in the yeah. government so writing letters uh, is is a powerful thing and just taking action to push i think that's really what it comes down to is pushing yeah well it's always a delight to have you on the show sabina you're really a wonderful spokesperson and uh so grateful that you came on again and i look forward to the next time as well thank you for having me it's always fun to talk to you and to talk about these ideas these topics very inspiring you've been listening to mystic takeaway if you've enjoyed today's episode please consider subscribing and sharing it with others thanks for listening